Well, as you can tell, the voice continues to plague me, so I apologize for the the roughness on the ears, as it might be said. Well, today, it was good to be with you all for Easter Sunday and to celebrate the resurrection together. And over the past couple of years, we have taken the weeks after Easter Sunday to consider what I call the therefores of the, of the resurrection. Because when we talk about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we we are talking about the pinnacle of history. We know, and and again, we've talked about this in Sunday school. We could talk about it more in Sunday school today uh, if you'd like. But if, if you just think about the timeline that you have in your head about how history is moving, we all know and believe as Christians that history is moving to this decisive moment in which Christ will come. And when he comes again, he will judge the world. And the dead will be raised, and the sheep and the goats will be separated. Right? That decisive moment of judgment and salvation. But as we've talked about, that pinnacle, so if that is where all of history is moving to, that decisive moment, what we find out in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that that decisive moment is actually divided into two moments. And the first of these moments, which the Bible calls the first fruits, which we read last week in 1 Corinthians 15, is Christ himself. That is, what will one day happen at the end of time has happened in time in Jesus Christ. That is, Jesus Christ on the cross is actually enduring the final judgment that will come upon the world. He is taking it on himself. That end time moment is happening in time, but not to the world, but to him as the representative of all who will trust in him. And that resurrection and salvation that will occur at the end of history is taking place in time, in Jesus. He is the first fruits of that harvest, that decisive moment pops up in Christ on Easter Sunday. So what we're talking about, I say this only to say that Easter, in my mind, in my opinion, requires a savoring. We need to linger here. We should not rush quickly over, you know, celebrating Easter Sunday. There's nothing I love more than beginning church on Sunday morning with, uh, you know, with these Easter hymns that we do. You know, from the grave he arose. I just love sort of that explosive uh, celebration of that. It's wonderful. But we need to savor the fa- the, not only the fact, but the truth of the resurrection. Because we're not dealing with, oh, a historical event. We're not just dealing with, oh, an amazing miracle. This is the decisive moment of all of history. So we need to linger here and we need to think for a second. And by a second, I mean six weeks. (laughs) We need to linger for six weeks um, or thereabouts. We need to linger on what it means for us. What are the therefores? Now, last year we we lingered and we took time and we just walked our way through Romans chapter 8 and said, Because Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And 
And we work that out. Why is there no condemnation? Because Jesus is raised from the dead. He was crucified for our sins and he was raised for our justification. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then we just let Paul just unfurl the conclusion, the consequences, the beautiful, glorious consequences of the resurrection throughout chapter 8. This year, we're thinking, and I want us to think over the next, so the theme that we're looking at over the next several weeks is, so what, of the resurrection, the therefore, what does this mean for us? And we're not looking at a particular text, like we did last year with Romans 8, but we are looking at a particular theme. We're looking, we're going to find texts that focus on a particular aspect of the therefore, and namely, it is the going, the declaring the evangelizing, the work of missions, and of apologetics. So I've titled the sermon this morning, Therefore, Go! And our first text that we're considering is that old familiar uh, uh, Great Commission. And the Great Commission in Matthew 28 begins this way. As Jesus gets them on the mountain, tells them all authority has been given to me, go therefore. Here's the therefore of the, uh, of the resurrection. Jesus is raised from the dead in this very chapter. Uh, divide out, uh, divide this out. Matthew gives a, a, a pretty condensed version of the resurrection. We get the resurrection and then moves quickly to the ascension and so forth. But that's from resurrection to therefore go. He's raised from the dead. Meet me here on the mountain. He's going to ascend, and his commission to them is to go. So I want us to think, so I want you to see the theme that we're looking at over the next several weeks as we'll take different angles on what it means to go. What do we do when we go? Um, Look at those who have gone. Um, Today, as we look at the Great Commission, I really, I thought the best way to come at the text, approach the text today, is with the old sort of questions of who, what, when, where, why, how. Uh, and, and think this through as we introduce ourselves to the idea of going. So I want to do that. We're going to do why, who, what, where, when, and how. I'm going to start with why, and I've already introduced it, but let's, let's start there this morning. The text has already been read. It was our word of exhortation today. Jesus gathers the disciples here. He's, we're past the resurrection now. Jesus is at the point of his ascension, and as he ascends, he doesn't just say, okay, I'll see you in glory. He commissions them. He exhorts them. He charges them. He tasks them with something in light of his resurrection. And that's what we're looking at. So first, why? And this brings us to the theme we're talking about. Therefore, why do we have this commission? I'll tell you why. Why is the church charged with what it's charged with? Why do we do what we do as a church? The answer is because Christ is raised from the dead. Jesus says this to them here as he gathers them in in, uh, in verse 18. Then Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. The church is commissioned to take the good news into the world because Jesus is triumphant. 
Jesus reigns over heaven and earth. Jesus has conquered death. And death, remember Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, death is the final enemy. Therefore, if you conquer death, what possibly can be against you? Right, And you'll remember uh, Paul's words in Romans 8, the text we looked at last year, right? Paul concludes that by saying, who can stand against us? What can possibly, who can possibly bring any charge against us? What can possibly separate us from the love of God? Like if death is conquered, I'm sorry, sorry, Nero loses all his power. Like what does Nero have against us? Right? What, what, what do the Pharisees have against us? What does Satan have against us? What, what weapon does, does anything have against us if in fact death itself has been conquered? So the therefore here, the why of what, why the church does what it does flows out in verse 18 of the fact that Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and earth. And I want you to hear that again. Not he will one day be given all authority. Not, hey, down the road, when I come again, I will have all authority. Notice he puts it in the past perfect, right? Has been given to me. It's done. Jesus, right now, in this moment, in the chaos of the world, in two years of COVID madness, and in a time of social unrest, in a time of war in Ukraine, in a time of a crazy economy that none of us know what's happening, right? In all of the answers, right now, Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. That is, if you really believe that, you will walk with courage. You will walk with your head up and your shoulders back because you'll say, my Savior is the King of Kings. So, and in light of that, and because of that reason, we go. So why? Because the therefore. Therefore, because all authority has been given to me, because Jesus just walked out of the grave, we go. Okay, so why? Why the Great Commission? Because Jesus is raised and because he reigns over heaven and earth. Second question, who? Who is this commission to? Now, immediately, most immediately, it's to the 11 disciples. And we know we're going to get, and we read that in Acts, Judas is going to be replaced with Matthias. So we have the foundational 12. Jesus forming in these 12 apostles like a new Israel, right? A new, new like 12 patriarchs, right? That's kind of what Jesus is doing here. He is reestablishing Israel in and around him, right? And now they will go. So most immediately, this commission is given to the apostles. That is to say, in this case, the disciples become apostles. Disciple means student. And the, 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 when the 12 are with Jesus, in his earthly ministry, they're disciples. They sit at the feet of Jesus and they, they are disciplined by their, by their teacher. They're trained and they're humble. They learn. But now they become apostles. An apostle means sent person, okay? The commissioned person, a person who goes on a mission. So they're no longer called disciples. Now we're going to start calling them apostles. These who have witnessed the resurrection, 
and who have been commissioned by Jesus to go, and they're going to go, and we're going to see them spread out. And primarily, as we went through Acts uh, a little while ago, right, in Acts we see them primarily going to the Greco-Roman world. Though others we believe and know go eastward, but the ones that we really spend time in Acts thinking over is those going to Greece and to Rome. The question we have to ask is, is the Great Commission, however, just for them? Who is this commission given to, ultimately? And I, I, I want to bring this question to the fore because oftentimes we think the Great Commission is given to us all as individuals. We are all called to go into the world and to proclaim the gospel. The Great Commission is a, it has been used, I think, in some ways to bring great guilt upon people. You know, what am I doing in my job? You know, here I am, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an electrician, I'm doing electrical work, and you come to church and you hear the Great Commission, you're like, well, what, what does it mean? Does it mean I gotta, I gotta stop being an electrician, I'm supposed to go on the mission field? And I, I know, even when I, when I was a kid, you know, hearing stuff like this, especially listening to people talk about missions, and really feeling that guilt of like, is my secular calling, right? You know, whatever I, I'm called to do, is it, not really that great. It's like, okay, if you can't go be a missionary, okay, fine, be an electrician, but you really should try to, you should try to be a missionary because what do you do? The, Jesus called us to go. So I, I wanted to address this. Who, who is this commission given to? And the answer is, this commission is given to the church. Okay, it's given to the church. Now, you are a part of the church, and therefore it is given to you. But this commission does not mean, nor has the church ever read it to mean, that every individual within the church is called to go and be a missionary. The church is to go. The church, represented here by the foundation stones, if you will, of the New Jerusalem, right? The the foundation stones of the church, the commission is given. But remember, uh, Paul is very clear in Ephesians, in 1 Corinthians, in Romans. Not the same gift has been given to everybody. Some people are charged to go. And some people are not. In the terms of going out into the world, the highways and the byways. You know, going maybe into foreign countries or going and making being a full-time evangelist. That's not what everybody is called to do. But what we are called to do is care about the going. We are called as a church to be a going church. Now, again, how do we do this? We can do it by going, literally by going. Who knows what the Lord is calling you to do at what stage in your life when you realize, you know what, Lord, I I have felt this call to go. Or we can be senders. We can help people go. It's no small thing when the electrician gives of his pay to send a missionary or to send money to freshwater friends. We can't all go drill wells in India. But when you give to the drilling of wells in India, you're drilling wells in India. The time that you spend earning that money, what you're saying when you give to the person who's going, what you're saying is, here, this took me 10 hours to to earn this money. Here's 10 hours of my time. Spend it drilling wells. That's what you're doing. You're saying, here's here's 10 hours that I'll give you. It's you going. It's you going by way of supporting those who are skilled to do it, those who have the ministry to do it, those who have the calling to do it. Because we also need really good electricians. 
You know, we need people who love their neighbor by fixing their wires and making sure their houses are wired in a way that they don't burn down. We need that as well. And that's a blessed thing. It's a God-glorifying thing. But as an electrician or as a missionary, all of us as the church must care about the going. Okay? Because it is given to us as the people of God. So I want to say on the one hand, let us feel the conviction of this as a church. How do we care about the going? Do we care about the proclamation of the gospel in our communities? Do we care about the proclamation of the gospel in our country and in the world? Are we praying for it? Are we praying for the success of the gospel as it goes out into the world? That'll tell us where our hearts is. Do we, do we care about these things? And then to us as individuals, if the Lord's calling you to go, listen to that. Push, push on that door. And if you're convinced he's not calling you to go, then fine, maybe he's not calling you to go out into the highways and the byways. But nonetheless, in another sense, we are all salt and light. We are all to go even if it's just into the house of the place where you're doing the electrician's work. You're still interacting with people. You still are the moon to Christ's sun. You still are reflecting the light of the sun into the darkness. And therefore, it matters how you do your electrical work. It matters how you interact with your customers. It matters how you interact with your community. And we are to be Christ there. Fine. I'm, maybe you're not a professional. Uh, professional is the wrong word. Not a uh, well, uh, uh, a called full-time evangelist. But you're still a piece of the moon. You're still a reflector of Christ. And so even that going, maybe with a small G, is something we need to own. We have to be careful that we don't say, well, I, I merely send my check to make sure that freshwater friends can go and that's okay, I've done it. Okay, that is great on that level, but, but I'm interacting with people. I still need to, I still need to, in as much as the Lord brings people into my life, be ready. So on the one hand, I want to say this commission is for the church broadly, but I don't want us to just go, okay, good, good, good. Now I don't have to, I don't have to, I don't have to worry about sharing the, the good news of the gospel. The Lord brings you opportunities. We ought to be looking and anxious to seize them. So I want to encourage us and challenge us both ways. So why? Because Christ is risen. Who? All of us in the church, as the church, we ought to care. Now what? What are we commissioned to do? What is the church commissioned to do? On the one hand, very simple, and the title of the sermon, go. Go. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, Jesus ascends, and all, they're all standing there. The slack jaw, just looking up and the angel comes and says, uh, why are you guys still standing here? Right? Why are you still standing here? And we have to be careful of that. We have to be careful of, of merely coming and we are, we are called to come. Jesus summoned them to him, right? Coming to Christ that you might be commissioned, coming to Christ that you might be fed, coming to Christ that you might be filled is a good thing. It's a commanded thing. Jesus summons them to himself and then he says, go. And we have to be careful that we don't love the coming. You know, we love the coming. We love the being fed. We love discussing this stuff. We talk about it with one another, wrestle with great ideas, love to be challenged by the word of God. We love the coming part. But then we need to hear the angel of the Lord go, now what are you, what are you still doing here? Let's go get out. 
get out and go. So we are called to take this treasure that the Lord has put in this jar of clay and we are to bring it out into the world. So what are we to do? Go. But we need to dig a little deeper because he doesn't merely say go. He says go and do stuff. Okay. So in verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of the nations. Go and make disciples of the nations. So notice, and and people have pointed this out, and, and maybe the language wasn't quite there either, but notice again, he doesn't merely say, go make converts. That is, there's something more Jesus is commissioning his disciples to than merely just getting people converted. And and you know as well as I do that, especially earlier in the last century, there was kind of a a, a push on that, right? It's like, hey, you go door to door, you share the gospel, you you just get people to make a decision, sign a card, raise their hand, come down an aisle. And I don't want to talk down what brothers and sisters have done. There's a passion to make Christ known, and praise God, the Lord used them in very powerful ways. Some of you were saved that way, probably. But it's not quite what Jesus calls us to do here. Jesus calls us to make students. Remember, we just said what a disciple is. Go and make students of the nations. Disciple them. And you know it's because then he doubles down on them. Make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Now, again, this is not a commission given to you personally. This is a commission given to the church. And you and I will have different roles within this process. You may be a seed sower. Right? You're not going to see the plant grow and see the fruit and the leaf, right? You're not going to see the oak tree. You're the acorn thrower. Right? You're burying acorns in your work. I, you know, you talk to a person, I'm, 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 I have no doubt that if we are faithful Christians, we are going to end up in glory and people are going to come give us hugs, just like you're going to give somebody a hug. And they're going to say, thank you so much for telling me. And you're going to be like, wait, you were completely hardened to anything I ever said to you. Like, I made zero ground with you. You showed no interest. You have no idea. You have no idea what the Lord is doing. As a church, we are not merely to make converts, we are to make disciples. And maybe you're a seed sower, maybe you're a waterer, maybe you're a pruner, maybe you're, I don't know what you are, a fruit harvester. You're something, but as a church, our aim must be to make disciples, students of the Lord Jesus Christ, not mere converts. Paul established churches. He didn't just witness, and people said, oh, I believe, and he said, okay, I'll see, I'm going off to another city. He said, all right, good, let's get a church here, let's appoint some elders here, we're going to start learning the scriptures here. He's writing letters back to them, he's chastising them, he's coming back to visit them. Now, that's Paul. And as a church, this is what we are to care about. We go out and sow seed, we proclaim, but we also make disciples. We baptize people. That is, we bring them into the family. We bring them into the kingdom. 
they change loyalties. That's what baptism meant for these people. Right? I'm not of that family anymore. I'm of this family. I, I, I'm no longer of, under Caesar, if you will. I'm now under Christ who has all authority in heaven and earth. You know, in, 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 the, in the ancient church, when they would be baptized, they would turn. They'd be baptized at night or in the wee hours of the morning. And they would turn and they would spit <laughs> at the west. They would face the west and they'd spit at the darkness in the west. And then they would turn to the east to the rising sun. And then they would be baptized. And as they came out, they'd be robed in a white robe. I mean, there was all of this beautiful imagery that was going on for people who literally were making a declaration. I am no longer of the darkness. I am a child of the light. It was, it was a, it in their, it was a political, social change and commitment that they were making. And Jesus says, now go do it. Lead them into that. Lead them into me, into this kingdom. That's what it means to make disciples. I tell you the good news. It begins, of course, with evangelism. It begins with sharing the sweetness of the gospel, convicting of sin, the proclamation of the gospel that they might believe. But then the church must do the work of discipleship, of training, baptizing, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So why? Because Christ is risen. Who? The church and us as individuals within it. What? Go, witness, evangelize, but more, make disciples. Fourthly, where? Well, he tells us, make disciples of the nations. Like, there's no limit. Go. Everywhere. Everywhere. And you have in, in Genesis chapter 12, in Genesis chapter 12, what we see this, we see the, if you will, the seeds of this, because to Abram, God calls Abram out, and he says, Abram, yeah, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do all these amazing things for you. Anyone curses you, I'm gonna, I got your back. But then he says, and through you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Right? This is when we, when we talk about the idea of Israel you know, as the people of God. You, again, you must remember that when God established Israel through Abram, the point was not for Israel. The point was for all the nations. It was through you, Abram, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And when Christ is raised from the dead, what's he say? I have authority over Israel? No. All authority in heaven and earth over all the nations has been given to me. I am the fulfillment of the promise to Abram. So what do you do? Go tell the nations that their king is seated on the throne. I, and I think this is powerful in ways that we, sometimes our vision for the Great Commission, our vision for the proclamation of the gospel, again, is kind of personal. Like, hey, you can have your sins forgiven. And that's true, and you should declare that. But remember, Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news. Good news means gospel. How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news. And do you know what the good news is, he declares there? How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news, who say 
our God reigns. Not your sins can be forgiven, though that's true. I'm not minimizing. But it's interesting that the message that Isaiah puts in there is our God reigns. Therefore, the message, one of the messages we bring as we tell the nations, as we go into every nation, the good news. The righteous king is finally on the throne. The evil king has been overthrown. It's an ancient story. But that's what we declare. Not merely some individualistic thing, though there are individual uh, consequences of the gospel, but what we declare is that Christ reigns. And the idea is like, like in the old days, you know, if, if, if a king died or a king was overthrown and a new king comes on the throne, somebody's got to go tell the shire. Or somebody's got to get out into the, the, the countryside and let everyone know because everyone still thinks king so-and-so's on the throne. Like, how do you know? You don't just click on the news. You don't get, you don't get a, you know, your phone an alert. Oh, king so-and-so's on the throne. So what has to happen? New king is on the throne. Out goes the messengers into the countryside. Hear ye, hear ye. Righteous king so-and-so is on the throne, whether he was righteous or not. He's the great king, right? But, but our, praise God, our king is the king of kings. And we do the same thing. You, you go out into the countryside. You go on the, the, the hill and valley. You go into all the nations of the world. You go to Germany. And you go tell kids in Germany that Christ is king and he sits on his throne. So where do we go? We go everywhere. You know what? You go into the house that you're doing the electrical work in. You go into the theater where you're playing music. You go to the, 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 the place where you're doing education at Pace. You do it wherever. You do it in the doctor's office. You do it in the Christian school because everywhere it needs to go that Christ is king and there is a king firmly seated upon the throne. When? When do we do this? Well, you know when. Right now. <laughs> As soon as I'm done preaching. Um, you do it now. But but he tells us here, he says, and we'll get to the how here in a second, but, but notice he says, um, even to the end of the age. That's how this text ends. Even to the end of the age. This, does, this is the work of the church until Christ comes again in glory. And I tell the seniors, you know, I've been telling them as we approach the end of the year, I say, listen, graduation's coming. Don't take your foot off the pedal now, right? I said, run, you know, when they teach you in baseball, you know, you hit that little grounder. You don't let up as you reach first base. You run, first base is the one base you can run through except for home. You know, you run through the base. That is, you carry all your momentum through the base. Or when you're running a sprint and that finish line is there, you run through the ribbon, right? You're running through the ribbon. And I said to them as seniors, when you finish your senior year, you want to be out of breath because you've been pushing right through the ribbon. Don't let up now. And this is true for the church. We have seen Christ crucified and raised from the dead. Like, now it's time to like put the afterburners on. Right Now's the time to run and we should reach glory. We should come to judgment day kind of down our hands. You know, because we've been, we ran Right through to the end of the age. There's no, 
letting up now. Now is the time when the light is coming into the darkness. Now our king is seated on the throne. Let us run and let us keep running. Let us keep preaching. Let us keep making disciples, teaching them to obey everything that Christ commanded us right until the end of the age. This reminds us, this has been going on for 2,000 years, that again, this is, I don't want to use the word slog, a long slog, because it's not. It's a joyful thing. But th this is not a sprint. It is a marathon that the church is running. And we keep handing off batons. You know, we run hard and we hand off that baton to the next person who takes it and runs and runs and runs. So we have our leg in our little place, this little church. We are to run. We're to be out of breath. And one day, I'm going to hand that baton or the church is going to hand that baton off to the next preacher of this church. And that guy's going to run, 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 Lord willing and faithfulness. I'm going to hand it off. Elders are going to hand it off. The congregation's going to hand it off. And we're going to go on and on within the church until the end of the age. And we will not see the fruit of our labor always. And when you do, what a blessed thing it is. If you've ever had the privilege to lead someone to Christ, if you've ever had the privilege to disciple somebody in the faith, to encourage them, pray with them, you've all had that on some grand level or some small level. It's a joyful thing to enjoy the fruit of the kingdom. But generally, it's not that. We're, we're, again, we're dealing with oak trees here. You don't see the growth of an oak tree, except for many years. You know, you come back to some place, you've been away for 20 years, and you come back, and you're like, whoa, look at that tree. You don't see it, and that's how it is within the kingdom. It's a long race. But we are called to run faithfully even to the end of the age. Then finally, how do we do this? How do we do this? And I think the most beautiful thing in this whole text is in verse 20. So far, we've, we've been told why we do it and, and who's to do it and what we do and where we do it and when we do it. But in verse 20, he says, do this, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And then he just beautifully adds this in, and lo, I am with you always. So how do we do this amazingly difficult, challenging thing, bringing the gospel into a world that wants to kill you? Jesus told his disciples, they will kill you. They did it to me, they will do it to you. You're not greater than your master. They're going to hate you just like they hated me. So this isn't like, you know, just, you know, when you tell people this king is on the throne, they want to kill you because they're really loyal to the other king. Now some will be converted and be like, hooray. But other people will want to silence you and shut you up and kill you. The darkness hates the light. And these disciples, remember most of them, it's good to have a Pentecostal in the room, you know. <laughs> Jane shows up and I know the amens and the hallelujahs are coming. That's good. It reminds me, takes me back to the old days, James. So that's good. I need a little bit of that. Fire this group up, James, all right? Get Jane, you're, 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 you're teaching, brother. You're discipling. Um, most of these disciples are going to die for this faith. Right? They're going to die for this. This is not going to be a cakewalk. Jesus sends us into a hostile mission field, but with enthusiasm and joy because he has all authority in heaven and earth. The battle is already won. It's already over. And so as he sends them, if you will, as sheep, among wolves, he does it by telling them, but know this, that I am with you. Right? Not 
for a little while, not for this, hey, this last little minute, kind of soak it in, because I'm with you right now, but then, hey, now you're going to have to be big boys and girls and be on your own. No, he does not say that. He says, and lo, I am with you always, even right to the end. When you're there at the finish line, huffing and puffing, I'm going to be right there with you. I am with you in the valley of the shadow of death, as, uh, as the psalmist says in Psalm 23. I am going to be with you. And who is going to be with you? Go back to the beginning of it. The one who has all authority in heaven and earth. Not just some companion in your suffering, but the one who is with you even to the end is the one who is triumphant over death. He is the one who has all authority in heaven and earth. And he himself is with you right to the end. And that has to fill us with confidence. Fill us with courage. Even as you face the, the, the enemies of the gospel, as the disciples who apostles themselves do. So what does the resurrection mean for us? At least as we enter in, this will kind of propel us to think more about our going, about what we say, about how we do it. So all these little points are going to get broken open in the next several weeks. But I want us to feel that challenge and the conviction of it. Is your light under a bushel? Is your salt not tasting very salty? Has our voice been silent? I tell you, this is something I personally struggle with. I've wrestled with it my whole life. Of, of being public, of saying things when the moment occurs. How many times I've sat on an airplane and had that conversation going and have, well, I'm, I stopped listening to a person at a point because I'm like, all right, now you have to share the gospel. I'm, I, I'm telling myself this. Don't, let, don't you let this plane land without saying something. You know, because part of me doesn't want to do it and part of me is looking for a way in and part of me hates awkwardness so much that I, I avoid things I shouldn't avoid. So I, 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 I struggle with this. But we need to hear fresh this morning the charge to go as a body and as individuals and where we can send. In this case, Jake's going. Steve's going, Freshwater Friends is out there, Tony's out there, and a host of others, church plants. So many ways we can be doing it. So may we feel a renewed energy for the sake of the kingdom because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news that our God reigns that Christ is seated firmly upon the throne and that the would-be powers, the rival powers of darkness have been overthrown and that a new day is dawning. Father, as a church here at Affirmation and as your church universal, we pray that you would move us, that we might go into all nations, that we might preach, that we might sow seed, that we might cultivate soil, that we might water the seeds that have been sown, that we might prune the saplings that are growing and protect them from disease and from uh, danger, that we might, in your grace, even be the harvesters of fruit, the fruit of conversion. Father, send us, we pray, and encourage us to know that as we go, we are not alone. You do not merely send us as sheep among wolves, but you go with us. You are with us even to the end of the age by your Holy Spirit. 
We thank you for that. So, Father, use this church. Make us salty. Make us bright in our witness for you, we pray. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.